Good morning, Cross Point Fellowship. <clears throat> if I clear my throat this morning, please don't let it be a distraction. It's been this way all week, so we're just going to trust God this morning. We're going to continue in our time of prayer this morning. We're going to be praying for another fellowship, as we've done for a number of years here at Cross Point. We're going to be praying for another people group also. We're also going to be praying for our new pastor and family, Kyle and Lindsay Carlson, as they make their way here to Greenville soon. And then we're going to be praying for our time here this morning as we continue our study in the epistle of 1 John. So join me in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for who you are and for what you do. Father, I want to lift up another fellowship this morning, Honey Creek Baptist Church with Pastor Shane Davis and his wife Wendy. Father, I pray for their family worship, that Shane's study this week has been fruitful, that it's been enlightening to him, that it has taken him on a journey in your truth. And then as he stands and prepares to del deliver the word of God this morning to his people, to his fellowship, Father, I pray that you would strengthen him and uphold him. Father, I also lift up another people group, and it's the people of Chechnya. Father, they're primarily Islam religion, and as of now, there are absolutely no followers of Jesus Christ that are known in that country of 1.4 million people. There's no known evangelistic movement in that country. Father, I pray that you would move in people's hearts to be in Chechnya, to be in touch with the Chechen people, to present the gospel unashamedly to them, that you would claim people in that nation, Father, for your salvation in Jesus. Father, I also lift up our new pastor and his family, Kyle and Lindsay Carlson, their children. As they're moving here, they're returning from a vacation. Father, I pray that that vacation has been restful and fun for them. And then as they make the transition here to Greenville, Father, uh, we heard this last week, there were some snafus with the closing of the house. We pray, Father, that you would smooth that pathway and have that work out exactly as you've intended as they come to Greenville to stand in this new position as our senior teaching pastor. Father, I also pray this morning for our time here as we continue our study of 1 John. Father, illumine the truth in our minds and in our hearts. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. So if you've been around Crosspoint since the first of this year, you're well aware of what we're doing. We're going through the epistle of 1 John. In May, we're going to be going through chapter 5. So let me challenge you to spend time this week as you read through that to prepare your hearts for what God's going to reveal to us. This has been a great study. It's been a challenging study in a number of ways. One of the ways it's been challenging is to see again and again and again this commandment of God to love one another. Because we all know in some ways, well, I'll just personalize it. I know in some ways, I'm not very lovable. 
But see, God doesn't depend, he, he doesn't make his commandments depending on who I am, but what I need. Same with all of us. We're to love one another. There have been numerous sermons in the past four months where that theme has been presented. And it may, may not have been the main theme of the sermon, but I think in every sermon it was mentioned. So guess what? That's not going to change today. <laughs> we're going to be doing the same thing. So we're going to be reading the first five verses of 1 John 5. So if you're able to stand, let me invite you to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 1 of 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now, as I've been preparing this series of sermons, I've been reading through a book of collected sermons by Martin Lloyd-Jones on the epistles of John. Now, regarding the first sermon in 1 John 5, which is where we are this morning, he begins his thoughts with this statement that I quote. The Puritans have a very interesting phrase that they often employed when they returned to a verse on which they had already preached. Their way of putting it was that they felt that there were further gleanings that they could obtain from that particular crop. So that's where we are this morning. I agree with Jones that this may well explain why we have seen this very particular theme time and time and time again in our body of 1 John, in our study of 1 John. That there are just more gleanings for us to gather from this crop. The fact that God has commanded us again in this passage this morning that we are loved by God and as a result we are to love God in return and then because of that we're to love one another. He is intent in us getting this message that love is a vital part of his kingdom and it's a part of what we're to be doing on a consistent basis in our lives. Being loved by God. Loving God and loving one another. Now, you may be thinking, okay, Morris, I got it. <laughs> That's enough. We got it. But then I ask myself, do we really? Do we really get it? Have we gotten it completely, ultimately, I believe that God is wanting to show us another facet of this love in our lives.
this morning. So let's dig in. We've been blessed by the word that's been preached by Neil in the past four weeks. You may have noticed in the past that one sermon tends to fold right into the past sermon or sermons. It's a very smooth transition. That's one of the, one of the ways, one of the reasons I love expository preaching. They're all connected. You don't have to do some gymnastics or leaps to try to make them fit. They just fit. God's word fits with one, with, with one thing to the next. That being said, last week as Neil ended chapter 4, it was obvious that God once again instructed us that we're not to fear the day of judgment, but we are to love one another. I want to look back at chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. And Neil, I promise I'm not going to re-preach your sermon. You did a great job last week. Very eloquent. But I want to read this passage as a springboard into what we're going to do this morning. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. So this passage clearly points out that there are truths to consider about what love is and what love is not. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. We cannot say we love God and hate our brother. If we do say that, we make God a liar. And then anyone that loves God must also love his brother. Now, John begins, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5, another aspect of this theme that we have heard multiple times now. He gives us another bit of information to consider and fold into our thoughts and our hearts concerning who we are. He speaks of love. And then he begins to reveal this other aspect that is closely tied to this love in chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. John returns us to a very real, very basic truth that Neil shared with us several weeks back. That we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, of those commanded to love our brothers and sisters in Christ... He returns us in this one verse to the truth of the gospel spelled out in this single verse. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God. We'll pause there to consider this truth again. As John has delivered to us, it is this. Any person here this morning who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God 
acknowledges that God the Father was, was and is holy and perfectly responsible for the birth of Christ. Jesus being born was no accident. Jesus Christ, as we have heard from Neil in the past several weeks, was born. He came in the flesh. He was not just a happening. He was not just an accidental thing. He was born. He came in the flesh. He was born of God in the flesh. That's an essential for us today. This is not something small. This is something that comes from God himself by his choice, by his actions, by his love for his creation. I encountered this truth in a very unique manner in 2013 when I was on a trip to Kazakhstan. And there's at least two. I don't see the third one this morning. That actually went with me. Brad and Aaron Gallion and John Hicks. The four of us went to Kazakhstan. We were in the northern part of the country visiting some Chechen villages. And John and Brad and I were sitting with Jake Huck in the elder's house in this village. There was a man there that I will call Abraham. I call him that because that was his name. <laughs> okay. And he was a very, very religious man. He was a man of faith, extremely learned. And he was sitting there talking with us. And he explained that he and Jake had been having conversations about who Jesus is according to Scripture. That he was a son of God. And then it's through Jesus that we have salvation. And Abraham reached over and he laid his hand on my hand. I was sitting next to him. Which was really unusual in the first place because as an Islam man... He just made himself unclean by touching an infidel, which in their religion I was and am. But he laid his hand on my hand and he said, I would like to return to that conversation, but I've got a question for you. <laughs> and gulp had this knot raising in my throat. I looked over at Jake and Jake nodded his head. Because you have to be very careful in those countries about what and when you say, but if they ask, you're allowed to do that. So I said, okay. And he said, he knows his lineage. And the Chechen people know their lineage by oral history, by re repeating the history to their children. They know that they go back to the tribe of Japheth, the son of Noah. They can trace it all the way back. So they know who God is. They know what God has done. So he said, the only problem I have with what Jake has told me is 
He said, I can't call Jesus the Son of God because I know that for a man to father a child, he has to have physical relationships with a woman. And the thought of God having physical relationships with Mary is one of the most aberrant things I can consider. I can't go there. He said, but can you explain that to me? And again, I quickly prayed. <laughs> God, I need an answer. You know, and I felt this lump kind of building in my throat. And this is what then transpired. I said, well, Abraham, where did light come from? And he said, God created it. He spoke it into existence. I said, okay. Where did creation come from? And he said, God spoke it into existence out of nothing. I said, okay. Where did Adam come from? He said, God created him out of the dust of the earth. I said, okay. Isn't it very, very possible and real that God, who can speak creation into existence out of nothing and put light in the sky out of nothing and create Adam from the dust of the ground, that that very same God could provide miraculously 23 halves of chromosomes to blend with the 23 halves of chromosomes in Mary's egg to then create Jesus, the child who became the man who is our Savior. Abraham sat there for a minute and he, ducked his, he bowed his head a little bit and he said, I've got a lot to think about. Now, I have no idea where that conversation ended. God does, I don't. But in that moment, it was very, very clear, and it was even, even more so to me in that conversation, that Jesus was born of God in the flesh. Of that, we have no doubt. Now, let's look at the rest of, of verse 1 of chapter 5. The last part of that says, Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Now, clearly, John points out to us that if we truly love the Father, then we must love whoever has been born of him. In other words, if we truly love the Father, we must love the Son, Jesus Christ, fully, completely, as he was created 100% in the flesh. And yet we also know that he is 100% God. I can't explain that. It's beyond me, so don't ask. Okay. But it's fact. Now we see this building into verse 2. It says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. By this? By what? What God has just revealed and what he's about to reveal in the rest of, of verse 2. We have seen this and very similar verses throughout this study of 1 John. Why would John continue to repeat this message? Because God knows that repetition is one of the strongest teaching tools that we can employ that he 
can employ. Teachers here this morning know that truth. Repetition teaches better than anything else. I found this quote on the internet. It says, repetition and rehearsal of information enhance a process called consolidation. The process by which memories are moved from temporary storage in the hippocampus, it's a small structure within the brain, to a more permanent storage in the cortex, the outer layer of the brain. Now, we're all smarter. <laughs> we know that. But I want you to see that God demonstrates to us first that repetition is effective. He didn't wait for somebody else to make it up. God knew it, and he revealed that. So we see another phrase, love one another. God repeats it. In fact, the phrase love one another appears 13 times in the New Testament and five times in 1 John. In 1 John 3.11, 1 John 3.23, 1 John 4.7, 1 John 4.11, and 1 John 4.12. Due to John's writings, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, it is evident that yes, we are to love one another. If you haven't gotten that yet, please get it today. This is a commandment, not a suggestion. This is an imperative from God, not something to possibly consider at some point in the future, maybe. That's not what God's saying. It is a commandment. We are to love one another. Now, also in verse 2, John takes a little bit different approach to the issue of loving one another. And he gives us, to quote Neil, a litmus test. So, that was just to know that Neil knows I'm paying attention. Okay. <laughs> we know that we are to love the children of God, and we do so when we love God and obey his commandments. This love is circular. God loves us. We then love God. We then love the children of God. Then God loves us. It just continues to grow in our lives. Our love must be generated out of our love for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we can only do that because he loved us first. As far as I know, this was the first verse that I learned as a child. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. In other words, he loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It is because of this love that we have the capacity to love others and to love God. If he didn't love us first, we wouldn't be able to do that at all. John gives us this knowledge of how we know we love God when we keep his commandments. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So then the next logical question is, well, how do we abide in him? And Jesus answers that in John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, 
You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This grows then into a very smooth continuation of what God is revealing to us in verse 3. <clears throat> For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Let me read the commentary on this verse from the English Standard Version Study Bible. God's love for his people gives them the desire to love and please him. So with eagerness, they keep his commandments. Rightly understood and followed, God's commandments bring believers great joy and freedom, not a sense of oppression. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus himself said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In a worldly sense, Living under someone else's commandments is burdensome. However, in God's kingdom, as we abide in him, his yoke is easy and his burden is light as we follow his commandments. It is sweet to walk with God and with others in him. The next truth encountered in verse 4 is this. And it is clearly stated in the first part of the verse where our salvation comes from. 1 John 5, 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Look at the first part of that verse again. For everyone who has been born of God it has been said often from this pulpit through the years, and I'm going to repeat it again this morning. The active agent of our salvation is God and God alone. To put it another way, there is no way to salvation apart from God. Jesus himself said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. And then in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The emphasis on the three statements that Jesus made in the beginning of that verse, in verse, in verse 6, actually infers, I lost the word, it actually infers this. This is what Jesus was inferring. I am the only way. 
I am the only truth. And I am the only life. Let that sink in. This valuable truth absolutely erases the all too often thought in our society of, in, our society of entitlement. That entitlement teaches us and it, it comes in very slippery at times, most of the time. But basically that entitlement looks like this. You owe me. Because I'm here and because I exist, because I breathe there and because I eat food, you owe me. That actually is applied to God, that God owes me. Everyone. Because that entitlement has me believe, if I were believing that, that I am all important, the center of things, that I'm a special little snowflake, okay, a great big snowflake. And then to quote an old advertising adage, you deserve a break today. Anybody remember that? It's one of these hamburger joints that you deserve a break to eat mystery meat. Okay, whatever that was. But, deserve? Do I really deserve a break? Everybody do this. <laughs> no. What we deserve is God's justice. What we deserve is God's wrath. But because of Jesus... There is one very clear way that demolishes that lie of deserve. Apart from God working in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would not even have a way to contemplate God's existence, much less try to build salvation in and of ourselves. The only way we have salvation is accomplished by God. Through the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, do we have a way to God. That's it. Look again at the rest of verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world... And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. So what is God's promise here? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. He promises that we will overcome the circumstances of the world. He promises that we will overcome the consequences of original sin. Being separated from God. That victory comes through our faith. He gives us a power to not be defeated by the world's hostility and we will not be compelled to turn away from Christ. Get that. Because of this victory, our faith, 
we will not be compelled to turn away from Jesus Christ. See, and that's Satan's frontline attack. He wants to destroy God's kingdom. He wants to destroy God's truth. He thought he had it when Jesus died on the cross. He thought he had it when Jesus was buried. Jesus overcame that. And he defeated death. And because of that, we have that victory. We overcome the world, and we do not turn away from Jesus Christ. Let that settle in your system. We have that assurance from God. Verse 5 then provides the sledgehammer that drives home this point for us. Verse 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I've got one application point this morning. Overcoming the world, according to this verse, sounds really simple, doesn't it? Guess what? It is. It is simple because Jesus did the work. Jesus provided the way for us to have a reconciled and a redeemed relationship with the Father through his life, his sacrifice, through him paying the price for our sins. Back to verse 4. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 8. We see this truth so clearly spelled out by God through Paul's writing. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Y'all repeat these next two words with me. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trans trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by, faith, or for, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This faith, folks, this faith is part of the armor that God provided us. In Ephesians 6, 16, it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. See, this strength didn't come from us. The strength comes from in whom we are placing our faith. And it doesn't matter how much faith we have it is the person of God that we're placing our faith 
in. This is our victory. This is our victory, Crosspoint Fellowship. We overcome the world by our faith in a God who has supplied our every need. We overcome. Why? Because of who God is in us, who we are in God. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you this morning and we thank you for this victory. We thank you for the ability we have to overcome the world because you loved us, we love you, we love one another, we keep your commandments, we abide in you, you abide in us. And through our faith that you have drawn us into and you provide that shield, we have overcome the circumstances of our world. We are assured that we will not turn away from Christ if all of those other things are in place. Father, we thank you for loving us. Father, I thank you for this word today that you bring to us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. And we're going to move to a celebration supper. And I'm going to go ahead and call the elders and the deacons forward. They're going to present the elements. And this morning, if you are here and you're trusting in Jesus as your Lord, we invite you to participate in this supper. If you're here and you're not trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would ask you to just let this meal pass by. But don't let this day go by unless you ask someone here, one of the elders, one of the deacons, one of the life group shepherds, or the person sitting next to you, tell me about this Jesus. So I want you to come forward, receive the elements, then return to your seat, then we'll partake together at one time.